middle school principal, and I'm pleased to have Dr. Shanessa Finner on the program in this hour. Dr. Finner, how are you today? I'm fine, Tavis. How are you? If I complained, I'd be an ingrate. I'm glad to have you on <laughs> uh, and glad to have uh, an hour to, to unpack a few things that uh, I think everybody in the country is sort of talking about, but trying to figure out uh, how to how to navigate through this uh, moment, as I said, in the uh, in our in our political climate, so we we all know we 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 see what happened, of course, to these brothers in the Tennessee legislature uh, for trying to raise uh, critical issues. Uh, we uh, are aware of what's happening to teachers in classrooms across the country, certainly in states like Florida, who are scared to teach certain texts and hiding books and afraid to uh, try to navigate the classroom uh, through a discussion of of, of certain topics. Um, what's it like on the inside uh, when you're trying to educate kids and you're afraid of all of these parameters, uh, these, these boxes, as it were, that you've been put in politically these days? It is very, very hard, and it's a struggle. And speaking on this situation, uh, probably a couple weeks ago, one of my third-grade teachers, um, she was teaching a black history lesson. And I sat in to listen, and there were certain things that she wanted to say, but I know she kind of felt uncomfortable, so she kind of skirted around the issue of it. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to her that evening about it, and I said, you know, and she expressed to me some things that she would like to say, but of course she felt very uncomfortable and didn't want to say it the wrong way due to getting some kind of feedback or being told, you shouldn't have said that and you shouldn't have explained it like this. But as I told the teacher, I said, you know, black history is factual. It really happened, you know. And it's sad that you have to try to beat around the bush and, and, and try to find out a different way to explain things to our babies because history is history and it can't be changed. It is what it is. Mm. So, yes, it is very challenging. Even by me being a very strong black principal who I, I love black history and it's something that, of course, I feel like should be taught. I, I don't understand why we have to skirt the issues. It is what it is. And see, the thing is, Tavis, the truth hurts when you talk about certain issues like that because the person who wants to eradicate and get rid of those talks, of course, is not seen as the good guy. Mm-hmm. You know, but, you know, to me, those are things and issues that need to be addressed. History has a way of repeating itself. Our babies need to know all that they need to know about their history so that it won't be repeated. There are things that they need to know. Of course, learning begins at home. And when we teach our babies about black history at home, you know, we're going to make sure that it's taught and told to them the correct way and detail because these are things that they need to know. Yep. To the extent you can share it in a public forum like this, <laughs> a national public forum like this, um, I'm curious as to what you did tell that teacher. Um, obviously, you were sitting in, uh, and she's doing her best to, to, to navigate through this lesson. Uh, to your point, she's, mm-hmm. she's watching herself, and she's pulling back here and pulling back there, mm-hmm. afraid to say mm-hmm. the wrong thing. What advice uh, mm-hmm. did, did you offer her when you, when you critiqued her later that evening? I told her that I understood what she was trying to do, and I know that she wanted to to say more. Um, She was talking about the issue, basically, about how in slavery, you know, you had the 
house slave and you had the field slave. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she didn't want to really get into debt, debt like she wanted to. So she kind of just told the basics of it. But I would have loved for her to kind of dig a little bit deeper in it. Mm-hmm. But I can understand that, you know, somebody could have gotten offended or anything. Because, you know, when you talk about skin color and different tones and everything. Right. But um, I just told her that she's a great teacher to continue to do all that she can. And I know that, that she's very authentic like me. And we want to get our babies the, 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 the truth and give them all the details surrounding it. But sometimes we can't. And, you know, like I said, that's where the parents come in, where that learning begins at home. And they can sit down and have that very fruitful conversation, that very direct and brutal conversation, you know, with the babies about slavery as well. Mm-hmm. So, yes, that's what I gave her. But I told her to continue to do a great job. Because yeah. I'm sure the audience can tell by your accent, uh, you are not from these parts in Los Angeles where this station uh, is flagship. You are in Arkansas, uh, correct? No, I'm in Fayetteville, North Carolina. North Carolina, I'm North sorry, Carolina. I'm sorry. North Carolina, thank you, North yes. Carolina, I'm sorry. Yes. I, 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 thank you, North yes, Carolina, I'm correct you on that. Yes, North Carolina. we have quite a few Fayettevilles, but I'm in the North Carolina. You're, you're in the North, North Carolina, Carolina, Fayetteville, correct. Uh-huh. Uh, thank you, yes. I'm glad you corrected uh-huh. me on yes. that. I saw, I saw Fayetteville, and I just went uh-huh. to Arkansas for some reason. You're in North Carolina. Yes. Um, uh-huh. but, but either way, uh-huh. I, still, I still hear your accent, so that, that, that doesn't go away, whether you're in North Carolina or Arkansas. <laughs> I, I, only, I, only raise, I only raise that because I want to get a sense of how you view uh, what's happening in North Carolina. We... we, we are fully aware of the the fright uh, that teachers are trying to navigate through in places like Florida with Ron DeSantis and Texas and other parts of this country. Uh, but how would you how would you uh, how would you describe um, what's happening in North Carolina with regard to teachers uh, and their fear of doing or not doing saying or not saying certain things in the classroom? I think there it's very challenging, and and we feel it. As a principal, I have been very concerned about the mental health of my teachers, Tavis, as mm-hmm. well as the mental health of my babies. You know, my sweet faces. I call my students my sweet faces and babies, mm-hmm. and we are feeling it. You know, teachers, of course, they want to keep their jobs, they want to teach the standards, and they want to do things appropriately. But of course, when it comes to certain touchy topics and issues and all, you want to make sure that you're navigating it, you know, accordingly, and and you're not doing any things that's going to, you know, cause any kind of political rift or someone say you say you said this when you should have said that. So it can be very difficult. And one thing that I've always taken pride as a principal, I've trusted my teachers and I continue to trust them to do the right things. Mm. One thing you don't ever want to do in education is to pull that creativity and pull the way that teachers teach things and they del- deliver those standards and deliver that information mm. and instruction. So you want to make sure that you don't get to the point that they're stifled, that they can't use the creativity and all to teach the babies. But, yes, we're all feeling it, and it is something, like I said, that's very touchy. I want to uh, uh, talk about that that that, uh, that notion of pulling the creativity, as you put it, when we come forward. Just getting started in this hour, Dr. Shanessa Finner, who is in Fayetteville, North Carolina, uh, not Arkansas. Um, she's a principal there, has been for some time, both middle school and elementary, and uh, wanted to go inside, as it were, uh, to talk to a principal about what it's like uh, trying to uh, help your teachers uh, teach uh, these students what they need to learn about our history, but to do so in a box uh, of uh, destructive and obstructive parameters about what you can and can't say, uh, that can't be easy to do. We'll continue with Dr. Finner when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm Tavis Smiley. Our guest this hour is Dr. Shanessa Finner, who is a principal in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And we are talking uh, in this hour about uh, 
about the difficulty uh, that teachers and administrators, we'll talk about her being an administrator in a moment, but the difficulty that teachers and administrators are having in this present political climate, uh, trying to do the right thing inside the classroom and not get sued outside the classroom or fired. Uh, There have been all kinds of stories about teachers being fired and sued and uh, people just scared, really, walking on eggshells in this country right now uh, vis-a-vis education about what you can and cannot do inside the classroom uh, lest you find yourself in harm's way as a result. Um, So I'm pleased to have Dr. Fenner on in this hour. You were saying a moment ago that one of the things you don't want to do to teachers is to sort of pull their creativity. But when teachers, again, find themselves in a box, um, but they're trying to be creative inside that box, inside that box rather, to teach a particular history, how does one do that? And you know what? That, that's, that's the million-dollar question. Yeah. How do you do it? Yeah. You have to constantly think about what you're saying and how you're saying it what resources you're using, and you're making sure that you're not going to say anything that's going to offend someone so that they'll go home and, you know, repeat it and say it back to their parents. So you're constantly, you know, you're walking on eggshells. And I remember when I was a teacher, Tavis, I taught first and second grade, mm-hmm. and we were given the opportunity to do all kind, teach all kinds of things in all kinds of creative ways, you know. So it is very hard when you have to really hold back or refrain from how you want to teach something and you want to teach it thoroughly. Yeah. So, you know, times are changing and things are changing, you know, at this present time. Yep. So are, are, let me ask a question. Are, are there banned books right now in your state, in your school district? No, right now we haven't had a lot of discussion in our in Cumberland County schools about banned books. But mm-hmm. yes, there are banned books everywhere as I continue to read and research. Mm-hmm. Um, there, are, but right now, currently in Cumberland County, we don't have an issue about the banned books. But the banned books is something that I also would like to address sure. in general. Go ahead, go ahead. Because because to me, I have a problem with book with books being banned. It's like this, Tavis. If you are a parent who's actively involved in your child's life and you're on it like you're supposed to, you, you're um, watching their so, who they're talking to on social media, you're, you're looking at what they're reading, you, you, you're making sure that, you know, they're hanging with the right, you know, students and everything. If you're actively involved, nothing should have to be banned, okay? Mm-hmm. You, you need to, to be a little bit more active in your child's life. And to me, you know, once again, those, those First Amendment rights, you know, freedom of expression and everything, but reading is something, by me being an avid leader, reader, reading is something Something that I've always done for my imagination and to escape and to get away and to learn different things, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole other issue and a problem with me, especially, like I said, when it comes to learning and growing. But um, to me, I have a problem with books being banned. Um, I, I think that, you know, if, if, if your child's reading a book and you have a problem with it or something, you need to have that conversation with your child and all. Mm-hmm. And also, you should be having those conversations with your children anyway about the things that they read and all, because learning begins at home. You know, yeah. you're your child's first first teacher. Yeah. So you need to have those conversations with them and all, but I do have a problem with books being banned, because no, I, these are books that, you know... Mm, no, no, I'm sorry, I didn't mean cut you off. I, I, I take your point. Um, I, I, I take your point, and I think most in this audience, you know, uh, concur mm-hmm. with you, they have a problem with books being banned as well, but I, I don't see it, mm-hmm. I, I don't see it as either or. That, that is to say, I see this mm-hmm. as, I see this sort of both and, which is to say that I don't mm-hmm. think that books ought to be banned in our schools, number one, and number mm-hmm. two, I think mm-hmm. you're right, the parents should also be involved, so it's not either or, it's both and. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've tried I've traveled this country over the course of my career, uh, and I've spoken in all kinds of schools. 
uh, literally from California to the Carolinas over the course of my 30-plus year career as a, as a media personality. And I, I've learned one thing that I think you'll agree with. Without regard, without regard to whether the school is public or private, I've spoken in both countless times, without regard to whether the school is public or private, I have learned that the schools that do best in this country are the schools where parents are involved, public or private. Mm-hmm. The schools that do Amen. best in this country are the schools uh, where parents are involved. And yet I sometimes feel for African-American parents, uh, I don't make excuses for them, but as a black educator, I want to get your read on this. I don't make excuses for them, but oftentimes, uh, oftentimes feel for them. I remember uh, growing up as a child, obviously, I've got nine brothers and sisters, and my mother always made it a point to not miss our uh, parent-teacher conferences. Um, but raising 10 kids, and we were very much involved in our church, there are always things on my mother's docket. It wasn't easy for my mother to get to school to those parent-teacher conferences. She made it her business to do so, but I saw the way she had to you know, move and, and, and shake to sort of make that happen. And my mother was a full-time stay-at-home mom, and it wasn't easy for her. You see where I'm going with this. If you've got parents, and I know you do, who are working, you know, two or three jobs, trying to trying to make ends meet for the family, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, they oftentimes don't have the time to get to the parent-teacher conference, much less to be involved more directly in the school or the various things that the school is putting on to raise money for, you know, for different programs and the things that you do as a principal. It's not always easy for parents of color to, to, to get involved, say nothing of the fact that they should be buying books for their kids and reading to them at home. Uh, because, again, to your point, parents are the first teachers of their students. I'm only making this point without, again, making excuses that it ain't as easy for black parents as it is for others to be as involved as we want them to be. So as an administrator, as a principal, how do you navigate that reality? Oh, Tavis, my teachers and I sit down and we have a lot of conversations on how we can evolve our parents more. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I'm glad you brought that point up. When we have awards day, Tavis, my multi-purpose room is filled. When mm-hmm. we have a Christmas play, Tavis, my multi-purpose room is filled. When we have any kind of event, field day is filled. So why can't curriculum night, my parents come out and it be filled as well? <laughs> yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 and here's my thing, Tavis. We, we, we try to get those nuggets of education in when we can. For example, our last awards day. Okay, I said, okay, they come awards day, so let's go ahead and do some a little bit of EOG training prior. So we got everybody there for awards day. We had an immediate EOG little prep thing, and then we resumed with awards day. Mm. So, see, we have to find little ways to get them there. Now, I'd also like to say this to Tavis. Tavis, people make time for what they want to make time for, okay? Mm -hmm. My grandmama and great-grandmama taught me that. People find time to do what they want to do, Mm -hmm. okay? And let's say you can't come to every little parent-teacher conference for little Shadessa, but guess what? You can class dojo the teacher. You can send the teacher an email. You can also meet with the teacher virtually. You know, you can use your cell phone and meet with the teacher virtually as well. Mm-hmm. Tavis, we find time for what we want to make time for, and our babies are a priority. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I take that's, your. That's just yeah. No, you you keep it real. That's what you do. And they they told they told me you were you were one of those persons who would in fact do just that. Keep it real, straight, no chasing. I love guests like that. So you you ain't hurt my feelings. I I, I love your candor. Um, let, let me just ask you this. Is you being so frank so what do you make of the lack of involvement how do you process the lack of involvement uh are they are they bad parents is it, is it child neglect 
Um, what, what, what's your read on, on, on those parents? And of course, not all parents are this way, but what's your read on those who don't make time for the things they need to make time for, uh, vis-a-vis the education of their children? What, what's your, what's your take on that? I think that education may not bring a priority. I think that priority, Tavis, is keeping the lights on, mm. keeping the heat on, the air conditioner on, making sure little Shanessa has food to eat, making sure little Shanessa has clean clothes on her back, and making sure little Shanessa has what she needs. Mm-hmm. That's their priority. But they've got to also understand now, Shanessa has a priority of obtaining that quality education as well. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Remember now, little Shanessa didn't ask to be here. Okay? Yep. Little Shanessa's here, so now it's your priority to make sure that Shanessa receives that quality education by any means necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. As, a, as an African-American administrator, if that's not the primary issue um, that you struggle with, tell me what is. Um, what, as, a, as, a black, as a black principal, um, well, let me just back up and ask a broad question. What is it like, and again, you can't speak for everybody, but these experiences aren't that different. Uh, what is it like being a black principal these days? It's very, very, it's a struggle, Travis. Yeah. Tavis, Tavis, I love being a black principal. Don't, don't get me wrong, education has always been a passion. I love the elementary level because we laid the foundation and we're going to lay it right for our babies. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's hard trying to get everybody to, to come back to that village concept. Now, Tavis, when you and I were brought up, we had the village concept, okay? Mm -hmm. So not only did we have our parents, we had our aunts and uncles, we had the neighbors. If I did something wrong outside, the neighbor got on me. Nowadays, Tavis, you dare not say something to somebody's child in the neighborhood or it's going to be a fight, Mm -hmm. okay? That's for one thing. We need to bring that village concept back, okay? But it is very hard for me to try to build that homeschool connection with parents. Sometimes I think some parents see the school as an enemy, I'm always trying to forge that positive homeschool connection. You know, we don't like it when parents come to the school and you curse us out. Mm. We want to have a great relationship with you, okay? Mm -hmm. So don't come to the school to curse us out. Come to the school to see what we can do to forge that relationship so that little Shanessa can get that education. What can I do? How how can I come to curriculum night and and, and play the role of my child and learn these various strategies that the teachers are not teaching? Because you know they teach different strategies now, Tavis, than when we were in school. Mm -hmm. Let me sit here as a parent and play the role of a student and let this teacher teach me some of the strategies so I can go home tonight and work with little Shadessa on her homework. Okay? Mm. Those are different things. Let's see how I can be more involved in the school and be on the school improvement, the SIT team, and help make decisions for my child. Let me be a part of this fundraiser. Let me be a part of this planning for the fifth grade graduation. You know, things of that nature, you know. So yeah. that's what we need instead of you coming to the school ready, ready to curse someone out. Okay? Let, that's let, what we need. Let me ask. <laughs> this is getting good to me. Let me let me ask how you do, in fact, deal as a black principal with irate parents. Because I, I know what happens. And every now and then I read these stories uh, that are not just, um, on the one hand, they're really sad. On the other hand, it's almost funny. Uh, and it's funny to me because I ain't got to be in the middle of it. But uh, I'm, I'm saying funny is sort of tongue-in-cheek because when you read these headlines, like, really, that happened? I mean, the parent actually did that? But you read these stories all the time about parents that show up at games and they they fighting in the stands and parents who are fighting on the field and and parents who show up at the at the school and cuss out the teacher and slap the principal and all. How how, how does a black principal and you you a black woman? So I know y'all don't take no mess. How, how do you deal with irate? How do you deal with irate parents when they show up at your school? 
Um, we, of course, asked them to leave. I may need to call the SRO, who's the school resource officer, to come and assist as well, mm -hmm. because we're not going to tolerate that, okay? I'm not putting up with it. I'm not going to be a part of it. I'm going to ask you to leave. You can go ahead and call the Board of Education. I will gladly give you that phone number to call. Mm -hmm. But like I said, um, no, we don't tolerate that. I don't, I don't deal with stuff like that. I'm all about educating and loving on my baby's tablets. I don't even engage in it. Yeah, yeah. I take your point. I take your point. Um, when we come forward, I got to get my clock. I got news, traffic, and sports in about 45 seconds. Let me just tell you where I want to go, Dr. Fenner, uh, on the other side of that. You were talking moments ago about why you love teaching, uh, used, to te used to teach, and now you're a principal, but why you love the elementary uh, level. And you love it, you said, because uh, it lays the foundation. Uh, and I want to interrogate that when we come forward, because when you look at the data, um, our schools are in, uh, in a crisis uh, and there are a number of things that are wrong. There are a number of challenges. I had a conversation not long ago with the president of UTLA, the United Teachers of Los Angeles, the big union here in L.A. that just won a big uh, big victory in a, in a strike, a three-day strike that uh, resulted in some good stuff for those who work in LAUSD. Um, but um, I've had any number of these conversations over the course of my career, as you can imagine. But you're a principal, so it's a little bit different, uh, and a black principal, uh, uh, no less. And, and I'm curious as to how you think we are doing across the country laying the proper foundation at the elementary school level. Because when you look at the data, it suggests that somewhere along the way, we ain't getting something right. Uh, pardon my English as I'm talking to a school principal dropping the word ain't. Uh, but we ain't getting something right somewhere along the line. And I wonder how you think we're doing, laying the proper foundation at the elementary school level. We'll talk about that and a great deal more with Dr. Shanessa Finner, who's keeping it real right now on KBLA Talk 15. We knew you'd stick around. This is LA's home for progressive talk radio. Welcome back to KBLA Talk 1580. A little bit of breaking news here on KBLA Talk 1580. Um, the judge in the Dominion voting systems lawsuit against Fox News. We've talked about it here and there on this uh, program and on the station. The judge in that case, Judge Eric Davis, said moments ago that he is imposing a sanction on the network and would very likely start an investigation into whether Fox's legal team has withheld evidence in this case scolding the lawyers for not being straightforward. That's his word, not being straightforward with him. Um, this case continues, of course. It's a huge, huge uh, case, over a billion dollars uh, at stake here. Dominion has sued uh, Fox News, and the judge in that case uh, has said uh, moments ago he's imposing a sanction on the network and will very likely start an investigation into whether Fox's legal team has been guilty uh, of withholding evidence in this case, scolding the lawyers once again uh, for with, uh, uh, withholding evidence uh, in this uh, particular case and not being straightforward with him. So there's some breaking news about this case involving uh, Fox News. We've been speculating uh, how this case is uh, going to end, whether or not Fox will be found guilty, and speculating more so on whether or not if they are found guilty, whether or not that's going to change people's views um, about Fox News. My sense is that those who watch Fox News ain't going to have their views changed uh, about uh, what Fox is giving them uh, every night. Uh, we shall see. But that case is a huge, uh, huge case uh, in the whole country, uh, at least uh, those in my business, uh, are watching it to see whether or not Fox News is going to lose this case uh, uh, in the, the courtroom of Judge uh, Eric Davis. Back to our conversation now, though, with our guest in this hour, uh, Dr. Shanessa Finner, as we're trying to understand better what's it like being inside of a classroom uh, trying to teach children in a moment where educators all across the nation are feeling the strain of trying to educate 
while adhering to what I've called obstructive and sometimes destructive parameters. Dr. Shanessa Finner is a writer, media personality, uh, and presently elementary school principal. She's also um, been at the middle school level, but presently a middle school, elementary school principal, that is, uh, in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And we're pleased to, to have her on uh, in this hour, giving us a, sort of an inside view of what it's like trying to navigate these murky waters these days and make sure you don't get fired or sued uh, inside a classroom for saying or doing the wrong thing. A, a quick comment, Dr. Fennett, for one of our guests um, who, who uh, asked me to get your take on this, uh, and uh, you'll take his point or the, the person's point. Um, it's easier, Tavis, to ban books these days than it is to ban guns. Easier to ban books than to ban guns. Your thoughts on that notion, Dr. Finner? Yes, and he is he is absolutely correct. If only, sir, we take the energy that we use to discuss and argue about banning books to talk about the way these guns are being brought into schools mm. and our babies are getting killed. You're absolutely correct. So I hope they would take that energy, like I said, from banning books to have discussions on how people should not be able to buy those guns and go into schools and hurt and kill our babies. No point. Well taken. Um, back to the issue that you raised earlier before news traffic and sports, and that is why you love being a principal at the elementary school level. You said you love it because this is where we lay the foundation. Well, if you look at what we're erecting, uh, look at it through the data. There are those who would suggest that our school system or the way we educate uh, is in peril. So the question is, given what you said earlier, whether or not you think that we are laying a proper foundation for our children, for our babies, as you put it, at the elementary school level. Mm -hmm. I think, Tavis, that we are trying to lay that proper education a foundation for our babies, but Tavis, everybody has to do their part, okay? Mm -hmm. For example, when I think about the pandemic, I want to go back a little bit and sure. talk about the pandemic. Sure. We all know that the pandemic, Tavis, you know, yes, we did the virtual learning, we were online and everything, but our babies were two to three levels behind, okay? Mm -hmm. Then next, Tavis, we got back in the schools, and we still now, Tavis, are feeling the effects and trying to bring our babies up to where they need to be, okay? Mm -hmm. We all knew that when they came back from the pandemic, we had to meet them where they were and gradually bring them up to where they need to be. Because next month, Tavis, when they take their end of grade test, that end of grade, Tavis, is going to be on the grade level that they're on. Mm -hmm. It's not going to say, oh, Shanessa's a, a fifth grader, but she's on a second grade reading level, so Shanessa can take the second grade reading No, no. That test is going to be at the fifth grade reading level, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's why we've got to make sure, okay? Now let's talk a little bit about mental health, Tavis. No one ever seems to want to address mental health. Yep. Our babies, as well as the teachers, are going through a lot of mental health issues, okay? All right, Tavis? Mm -hmm. I have a lot of teachers right now addressing their mental health. I also question my mental health some days as well, Tavis, okay? Mm -hmm. I, I do it. because we have a lot going on, yeah. okay? Okay. Next, let's talk about the discipline, Tavis. You know, right now the discipline is out of control, okay? We all know that our African-American males, Tavis, they lead, lead the pack when it comes to discipline, okay? So we have to have those crucial conversations about that as well, right. okay? Then we need to address the teacher salaries. Our teachers are not being paid, you know, like other states are being paid, okay? Then I want to bring in the parental involvement piece, Tavis. We need our parents to come in and do their part as well, that village concept that I addressed earlier, mm -hmm. okay? 
Then last but not least, Tavis, we need to create that unified front to do whatever we need to do to make sure that our students, our babies, are getting that quality education. Now, at my school, at the beginning of the year, we sent home a compact, and the compact addresses the student's responsibility, the teacher's responsibility, the parent's responsibility, and the principal's responsibilities. And we all sign it, and it comes back to the school, of course, and we keep it in a file. But everybody, Tavis, has to play their role. Okay. Mm. Now, we have a constitutional obligation and a moral imperative to meet the sound, basic educational needs of every child in North Carolina. And we all know to those students who have the least, we owe the most. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you two questions based on what you've just said now. The first question is, do you believe, uh, are you seeing, uh, as an elementary school principal, where, as you said, we lay the foundation do you think that the that the pandemic did irreparable damage to these babies, as you put it? And I ask that because I think that not just with babies, there's a lot of damage mentally and otherwise that's been done uh, caused by this pandemic that I think it's going to take years for us to actually see. We're not going to see all the damage that's been done, I think, for years down the road. But early on in the assessment process, as it were, do you see uh, any irreparable damage that's been done to this generation of kids? Yes, and I am very, very concerned. But let me let me say this now, because right. I'm able to see both sides. Right. I guess that, that's the Libra in me. I'm always able to see both sides. <laughs> the Libra I feel you. that we, yeah, <laughs> I'm a Libra. <laughs> you know, I have those scales, and they have to be balanced. Amen. But I'm, I'm always able to see both sides. Mm -hmm. I do feel that if we work together and we get all the resources that's needed, Tavis, we can bring them up to where they need to be. But it's going to take some time, Tavis. It's going to take time. We can't do it overnight, okay? Right. Right. That's been a lot of years that we're going to have to play catch up to i'd say about four or five years you know when mm -hmm. it comes to the educational levels okay of yeah. some of the babies yeah. but yes it can be addressed but tavis we need everything that we need to do everybody on board as i like to say as a principal i need everybody on the bus in the correct seat in the correct position and let's move forward that's mm -hmm. what's going to have to happen yeah um you ran you ran a serious list and i was listening as was the audience when you ran this list of all the things that you wanted to bring in the conversation. Uh, and I'm thinking it's going to take hours to have that conversation. We're going to cover all that ground. But it, that was my first thought. My second thought, <clears throat> excuse me, my second thought was whether or not, given all that you laid out, we are simply asking too much these days of teachers. Are we asking too much as a society out of our education system? Are we demanding too much? I don't. I don't think we're asking too much, but I do think that at times we put too much on our teachers. Mm -hmm. You know, every, every week there's a meeting and there's something else that they have to do, and we have to keep those things into consideration as well. They're not robots, okay? Mm -hmm. They need to have time. I had a teacher tell me one day, she said, Dr. Fenna, I don't even have time to get off work and go exercise, you know. And that's, that's food for thought. You know, mm -hmm. they don't have time to go home and exercise and really spend time with their families because they're doing lesson plans and unpacking documents and small group and, and you know, just all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I, I do think that at times we are placing a little bit too much on them because they're not robots. They're human, too, and we're breaking their bodies and their mental capacity down. So, yes, we do need to also relook and rethink that as well. Yep. Now, we had, um, again, uh, the UTLA president here in L.A., the Teachers Union president, Cecily Meyer-Cruz here a few weeks ago, and she made the point, uh, and it struck me that many of these, we, 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 we forget that the, the teachers who teach our kids are themselves parents. <laughs> they have kids at home, uh, and after dealing with your babies all day long, they got to go home and try to deal with their own kids. 
Uh, and so there's a lot on the plate of these teachers, hence my question whether or not we're asking too much of them, too much of our education system as it is currently structured. We'll continue our conversation with Dr. Shanessa Finner when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Conversations that matter. matter. You're listening to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. You're listening to Dr. Shanessa Finner, who's a principal in Fayetteville, North Carolina, on KBLA Talk 1580 as we go inside and try to get a better understanding of what it's like for teachers, educators all around the nation these days uh, who are, again, feeling the pressure, the strain of trying to educate students uh, as they're being boxed in with books being banned and you can't talk about this and you can't talk about that and you can't say this and you can't say that and you can't do this and you can't do that. And if you do any of that, you may be fired, you may be sued, uh, somebody's coming for you. Uh, that's not uh, the way things should be done in a so-called democracy. Uh, but that uh, that's where we find ourselves in this in this present moment. Um, I, I, there, there are any number of ways to define this term I want to use now, Dr. Fenner, and the term I want to go to is achievement gap. There are any number of ways to define that. Uh, but I'm wondering what you're seeing with regard to that achievement gap, however you define it, when it comes to our kids, black kids versus others. As always, Tavis, it seems that um, when it comes to any kind of achievement gap, you know, our babies, our black students, you know, they fall below their counterparts. Mm -hmm. And it's something that's very disheartening, which is why we're always, you know, having those PLC, which is professional learning community uh, meetings, to to discuss high-yield strategies and the different strategies that we use in the classroom to teach our babies and what can we do to connect them. Now, one of the things that I always like to discuss with my teachers, which is very important, is relationships. You know, mm-hmm. building relationships with our babies, Tavis, is, is the ultimate strategy. You know, getting to know our babies, getting to know where they're from. At the beginning of each school year, we put all of my, my um, teachers on a bus, and the bus driver takes them, Tavis, to all the neighborhoods where our babies come from, okay? Mm-hmm. I like for them to get an up-close and personal look here's where our babies live, so don't come to me anymore saying, oh, little Shanessa um, came to school without a pencil. Just, just thank goodness little Shanessa came to school today. She got on the bus, okay? Yeah. So I believe, I believe, Tavis, seeing is believing, okay? Mm-hmm. So we're going to put you on the bus, and we're going to show you where our babies come from, where they live, and you're going to do all that you can this year to build those relationships with our babies. Get to see what works for them, what motivates, what they like, what they dislike, how they learn best, which strategies they seem to work well with, what are their favorite subjects, what are their favorite sports. I want you to integrate all of that when you teach these babies. And also let them get that genuine feel of how you feel about them and their learning, okay? That's the first thing, okay? Like I said, that's the first thing to have is building mm-hmm. the relationships. And then, of course, next we talk about the high-yield strategies, the unpacking of the standards, teaching the standards, making sure that we're using the appropriate resources and all. So all of that is very important mm-hmm. when you talk about, you know, focusing on a subgroup that's not doing well. Sure. Uh, these are my words, not yours, obviously. Um, I was not a fan of George W. Bush as president for a lot of reasons. That's another conversation for another time, not what you and I are getting into in this hour. But there is one thing that he said that I've quoted many times. I think it's probably the most powerful thing and the most correct thing uh, that he ever said as president. And it's just one line. He was talking about education. Uh, and he used a phrase that many people have talked about for years now. And the phrase that George W. Bush used with regard to our babies was what is what he called the soft bigotry of low expectations. It's a beautiful phrase. The soft bigotry 
of low expectations? Have you seen in your career the soft bigotry of low expectations of our babies? Great question. That's another point that I talk about to my teachers all the time. Students in poverty, you never, ever, ever lower the expectations. You rise it up just as high as the clouds, honey. Mm-hmm. Our babies need those high expectations. We're not going to lower them. We're going to continue to have that standard of excellence at our school. We're not going to lower anything. They're going to rise to our high expectations because we're trying to get them to overcome and beat that generational poverty cycle. Mm-hmm. So, no, we don't lower anything at my school, okay? Mm-hmm. Nothing's going to be lowered. You're going to rise to our high expectations. Yeah, well, um, I ain't got no babies I can put in, in, in a school in North Carolina right now. But with a principal <laughs> like uh, Shanessa Finner, I, I wouldn't mind being uh, a parent of a child in, in her school, her elementary school. Uh, when we come forward in our remaining moments with Dr. Finner, I, I want to just get a little personal. We only have a few minutes left. I want to ask her, why education for her? I'm always fascinated by the backstory of people. And you can hear, of course, her passion in this hour about education, about being an elementary school principal. But I'm always, again, fascinated by the backstory. Why uh, and how did education become her work and her witness? We'll get an answer to that before we wrap this conversation in a moment on KBLA Talk 15. Interrogating your assumptions and expanding your inventory of ideas. Let's get back to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. We got a few minutes left, Dr. Janessa Finner, in this hour. First of all, let me thank you for spending uh, this high-quality time with us. Uh, I appreciate it. We've been enlightened, encouraged, empowered, inspired, and even entertained uh, at some points by this conversation <laughs> with you. And I, I appreciate all of that. So thank you for your time. Um, as I said earlier, no, it's my great honor to have you. Thank you. I've enjoyed this immensely. Um, as I said, I, I love hearing the backstory of people. For me, the best part of conversation is really understanding people's backstories. So in the few minutes I have left, it, it's clear listening to you in this hour, this is not a job for you. This is your vocation. Uh, your avocation. This is your calling. How did education become that for you? Tavis, teaching um, runs in my family. My mother was a teacher, my sister was a teacher, and I was a teacher. Teaching runs in the family. Mm. But as far as my why, Tavis, I want to leave the world a better place, and I want to leave the legacy that I've touched many lives, ensure that they receive whatever education that they needed so that they can become those lifelong learners who are going to become productive members of society. Mm -hmm. That is my why. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You you, you think the teacher, this may sound like a silly question. Um, I've said many times that teachers are remembered. Um, For one reason or the other, you will, you will be remembered. I mean, think about it. We all get older and we talk about a a particular teacher. We may, we may dog that teacher out. uh, We express love for that teacher, but teachers in our lives, play such outsized and important roles that we do remember our teachers. Uh, I'm asking whether or not you think that teachers today really understand the importance of the role that they play in the lives of these babies, to use your phrase again, and how they will literally be remembered for the rest of these kids' lives if they stretch themselves uh, and impact these kids in positive ways. You think teachers really get that? Yes, I think my teachers get it because Mm -hmm. we have a lot of crucial 
and blunt conversations. I'm a very authentic person, and and I I just, I'm real with my teachers, very Mm -hmm. open and accessible to them. Mm -hmm. And yes, we have had many conversations about, you know, watch how you make them feel, watch what you say to them, you know. Your hug this morning when they walked in your classroom may have been the only hug that they're going to receive today, you Mm -hmm. know. Like, for example, I stand up front, and the babies, I get a thousand hugs. I have 609 babies, and I get hugs every morning, you know. And I tell them, I say, good morning, baby. Good morning, sweet face. Have a great day on purpose, you know. Mm-hmm. And, I, and sometimes they'll come up to me. They'll go, good morning, Dr. Fenner. Have a great day on purpose, you know. And they start <laughs> to mimic you and say things, you know. Yeah. One of them one morning said, good morning, sweet face. I said, good morning, sweet face. <laughs> so, yes, my teachers know the difference that they're making in the lives of our babies. And we're going to continue to strive and do that, Tavis, by any means necessary. No, that's a great, it's a, it's a great uh, admonition to have a great day on purpose. I wish that for all of our listeners right now. Uh, that beyond this program, you will continue to have a great day on purpose. I remember Mrs. Graft in the second grade and Mr. Jackson in the fifth grade and Dr. Otis and Mr. Beal in high school, teachers who have had uh, an immeasurable impact on my life. And so teachers are always remembered uh, by their students. And uh, and, uh, and remember our principals as well. They'll remember that the rest of their lives. Sweet face. Uh, okay. They'll know the first time they heard that from Dr. Finner. <laughs> Dr. Finner, thank you. You, you. You're doing a great work. And we thank you for coming on in this hour. We appreciate you. Thank you, Tavis. My great honor. That's our program for today. Back tomorrow, Lord willing, to do it all over again, 9 a.m. to 12 noon. Uh, until then, we make room right now for the KBLA Midday Money Chain up next to the Millionaire's Roundtable with Lynn Richardson to be followed by Ahead of the Crypto Curve with Naja Roberts. Old money, new money. Either way, we got you covered here on KBLA Talk 1580. We thank Dr. Finner and all of our guests uh, in today's three-hour program and look forward to seeing you again, Lord willing, tomorrow uh, for another fine program. Until then, thanks for listening and as always, keep the faith.